Welcome, and thank you for listening to Grace Heritage Church Audio, building a household of faith on a foundation of grace. Visit us online at graceheritage.org. Please stay tuned after the message for more information. Thank you. All right, I think those may have uh, made the rounds. Um, let's begin with, uh, with a word of prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the reminder that we have for the great provision of Christ. Uh, for our behalf, on our behalf. And we confess that we have a tendency, as the disciples did, to to uh, be nearsighted and lacking in our understanding of the Scriptures. And so we pray that you would help us to rightly divide the Word of Truth, help us to understand and grasp the whole counsel of God, um, and to see how these things apply to our understanding of mercy ministry. As Stan prayed earlier, may you open our eyes to see the needs around us. May you give us a desire uh, and a longing to show the gospel in our deeds. We pray these things in Christ's name. Um, For those of you who were here two weeks ago, we began a short series on mercy ministry. That's a phrase from a book by Tim Keller entitled Mercies of Ministry. I believe that there are now a few copies of that on the table for anyone who's interested in picking it up. Um, others may refer to this type of ministry as showing compassion. That seems to be the, the buzzword in political circles these days. Uh, others refer to it as social ministry or deed ministry. Basically the same thing. I, I like the phrase mercy ministry because it calls us to remember God's mercy to us. Uh, by way of review, or quickly recap for those who missed the first lesson two weeks ago, uh, my main point is that when we begin talking about mercy ministry, before we begin talking about it, we need to preface everything that we have to say about showing mercy to others by first considering how mercy works to us. Um, that that points us to the gospel. And there we remember that it is grace that, and not guilt, which is our main motivation for doing mercy. Um, and that the gospel ought to have effects on us, that it ought to produce in us uh, an ability to be able to love anyone especially the unlovely and the ungrateful, because that was precisely us before God. Um, And that it also ought to produce, the gospel ought also um, to make us generous, to to freely give as we have freely received. Um, All of that two weeks ago was aimed at being an overview of what mercy ministry is and why we should do it. Uh, And as I indicated, I hope that today is a little bit more interactive for us there are differing opinions about a lot of these things as to how we actually go about practicing this. Um, this morning, my goal is for us to, to, to look at three common questions or concerns that come up as we, as we approach how to go about doing this. And then to seek various passages and verses that will help to provide guidance in how we go about the task. Um, I would like to also reiterate something that I said in closing two weeks ago, that uh, although in answering the questions, I'm teaching a certain perspective or an opinion, or at least giving an answer, uh, at the end of the day, my goal is not to convince you of my personal convictions, but to point you to the Word of God and allow you convictions to be born out of what the Scriptures have to say. And so I call you to the Scriptures and to develop your convictions there. That being said, this morning, the first question that I would like to address uh, is this issue. To whom should we focus our mercy ministry? Um, Two weeks ago, we looked at the example of the Samaritan. And that example teaches us that we, and I emphasize that that parable calls us to meet the needs of anyone. But we recognize that we're limited, that there's only so much that one person can do, that we can't meet the needs of the whole world. not that that excuses us from doing nothing or that excuses us from doing uh, a little. We often use that as an excuse um, to not do very much at all. But the fact remains that there, our resources are limited, that there's only so much time that one person has, there's only so much energy, there's only so much money um, that can go around. And so we seek the scriptures um, to know exactly how to go about apportioning these things. Um, so our first goal this morning is that of seeking biblical priorities. Can you think of any, any answers uh, when I ask the question, uh, to who should we show mercy ministry? Anyone in specifically? Uh, does any, any biblical passages or principles come to mind as to who we're called to show our mercy to? 
the book of James? But I mean, like, to who are you supposed to show mercy to? Orphans and widows, okay. Um, to our community? Neighbors? Sick? Any others? The fatherless? Um, we find a lot of, of different commands. Uh, I want us to consider that the, the scriptures present to us uh, sort of a hierarchy, I guess we'd say, as to who are, uh, I guess, a hierarchy of priorities um, as to who, who is our first priority and then, and then so forth. Uh, the first thing that I would have us to, to recognize is that our first priority is to our family, that we're called to show mercy to our family. First Timothy chapter 5 is probably the most pointed passage in this regard. You can turn there if you'd like. First uh, Timothy chapter 5. Paul is, uh, uh, Paul is telling, talk, explaining to Timothy um, about meeting needs in the church and he's dealing specifically with the case of widows um, as to how, how to go about making the, the distinctions. Uh, I want to read First Timothy 5, 3 and 4 and then skip down to verse 8. He says, Honor widows that are truly widows, but if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn, learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. Um, and then skip down to verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for the members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Um, so we see that our first priority ought to be, ought to, be to meet the needs of our families. Um, that if, if we fail to meet the needs there which is often more difficult. Sometimes it's easier to meet the needs of, of people who aren't in our family. Um, but we're called to meet those needs. And, and if we fail to do that, we're really worse than an unbeliever because even the ungodly care for their own. Um, there are elements of this woven throughout the scriptures. In Leviticus 25.25, um, the, the law, the social laws of Israel said that if a brother becomes poor and sells part of his property, then his nearest redeemer shall come and redeem what his brother has sold. So there's this, there's this emphasis again and again throughout the scriptures of meeting the needs of family members, of looking after their needs first. And I don't want to belabor the point, but it may very well be that our first uh, primary and our main ministry of mercy of, how, of who we show it to may be to our family, um, maybe to an aging parent, it may be to a disabled or a chronically ill family member. Um, in his book, Keller says that if we have needy parents, aunts, uncles, cousins, or other relatives, we must first look to their needs. And he goes on to say, uh, and I quote, Far too many evangelical Christians today hide behind the high mobility and privatization of our society to screen themselves from duties of mercy to their kin. I'm not insinuating that we should never seek help from medical community or assistance from other people to, to look after the needs of our families. But it's a pretty accurate observation that if you look around in America, um, we often resort to assigning the care of our family members to strangers simply for convenience sake, when it's ultimately, biblically, our responsibility. Um, secondly, so not only family, but secondly, that there is a great emphasis on meeting the needs of the believers. We have an opportunity to do this even now as as uh, one of our own, the fire that has consumed the possessions of Kendra, um, of her apartment. We have this opportunity to look after and meet the needs of fellow believers. There, In fact, the majority of the New Testament passages that speak at all about showing mercy specifically talk about showing mercy to fellow believers, to the brethren. Uh, can I have three or four volunteers to look up some passages? Can you look up First uh, John 3? 17 through 18. Someone else? Uh, James chapter 2, 15 through 17. And one more. Romans 15, 25 through 27. These are three common verses that, we'll go, that people go to to talk about mercy ministry. But in the context, we'll see that they're, they're really specifically talking about needing the needs of fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. First um, John three seventeen eighteen. Yes. So if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God love abide in him? 
little children, let us not love in the world, in the word or talk, but in deed and in truth. So, if we're not willing to meet the needs of fellow believers, how can we say that the love of God resides in us if we're not showing it to our fellow believers? But you see, the emphasis there is, is, is on believers. James chapter 2, 15 through 17. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. We often quote that, faith without works is dead, but the context is dealing with if a brother or sister in Christ has this need and we fail to neglect that. Um, in Romans 15, 25-27. <coughs> however, I'm going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints from Macedonia and Achaia, and I'm pleased to make some contributions to the poor among the saints of Jerusalem. Uh, they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. The Gentiles have come to show in their spiritual blessings they got also to be of service to them and uh, material blessings. The emphasis there being on the fact that Paul's talking about this, um, this giving aid to the saints in Jerusalem. This is sort of a theme that runs throughout many of Paul's letters in the New Testament that you see him talking about this gathering and this contribution to, to aid the saints in Jerusalem who are facing a famine. Um, and so it is our responsibility to meet the needs of fellow believers. Why, why is this important? What, what message does this show? Why should we meet the needs of... What are the, what's the practical benefit of... of of meeting the needs of fellow believers. Showing God's glory. Showing God's glory. Yeah. Any other suggestions or why this might benefit? Help them keep faith. Keep faith to, to encourage and strengthen one another. Um, John 13.35 says this, By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Mercy ministry is an apologetic to the world that our faith is real. Real enough that we're willing to care for one another. Um, we see this being demonstrated in the, the early church in Acts chapter 2 and chapter 4 that the, the believers, um, those who had more, sold some possessions and contributed their money and then dispersed it to those who were in need so that, so that Luke records for us that there, there were no needy among them. Um, they met each other's needs in the church group. God blessed them with growth. The unfortunate thing is that we often don't know one another good enough to either recognize when somebody else has a need or if we ourselves have a need, feel comfortable asking for assistance. I think that's probably an issue of pride. But so often you know, we have the opportunity week by week to encourage one another and I know I'm guilty um, that when we gather in between the sermon and the Bible study, you know, the conversation never moves beyond maybe the game or what we're going to eat for lunch. You know, how often do we really get to know one another so that we're meeting one another's needs? Um, I think that's the, the pattern that the scriptures present to us. So first to our families, secondly to believers, and then our third responsibility is to meet the needs of outsiders or unbelievers, um, anyone else in need. Less is said here in Scripture, at least explicitly. Um, the parable of the Good Samaritan seems to teach this. We looked at it two weeks ago. Um, that anyone in, is in need, we should meet their needs. Another passage which also shows priority given to the church, but to anyone else, is Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have the opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Beyond this, in the Old Testament law, there were provisions made um, not only for the poor among them, but also for the sojourners or the outsiders who would come into their midst. Uh, twice in Leviticus, in chapter 19 and in chapter 23, it speaks about when, in, when harvest time and they're gathering the grapes and the grapes that fall, they're not to go back and pick them up, but they're to leave them so that the poor among themselves, the fellow Israelites, and also for the sojourner or the outsider might come and glean from that. Um, that they're to leave the edges of their field unharvested so that the poor and also the sojourners or outsiders to see this, this principle and um, I think that you know although the majority of the passages deal specifically with, with believers that that pattern 
continues that we ought to show those same concerns for anyone else who is in need. The Proverbs are also replete with examples uh, that call us to meet needs. And though the Proverbs were written specifically for the people of God of Israel, I believe that they're general commands to all of us as well, the general principles. Uh, For instance, Proverbs 14.21 says, Blessed is he who is generous to the poor. Uh, Proverbs 14.31 Whoever oppresses a man, a poor man, insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Um, 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. Once again, 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not be in want. Basically, just emphasizing that this principle is evident throughout the scriptures. Um, but, biblically speaking, it seems that there is at least a loose pri- uh, hierarchy of priorities that we already meet the needs of our families first, and God may exhaust all of our resources there, and that and and that would be that would be fine. That 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 is our first priority. Secondly, to the needs of fellow believers. Third, the general principle applies to everyone else. And thinking about the biblical reasons for why we ought to meet the needs of non-believers, this raises the next question that I want to discuss today: is that how should we understand the relationship between mercy ministry and evangelism? Uh, are they the same? Are they related? Is one more important than the other? Should we do one before we do the other? Uh, I would propose to you that there are disagreements about this within different denominations, within different churches, uh, that different individuals hold different uh, answers to these questions. Three general guidelines that uh, I would like to emphasize that become evident as we look at the scriptures and as we look around at other churches or individuals and we see how these things are put into practice First, um, if we look around, many churches and many individuals believe that we ought to do mercy ministry and that while we do it, there should be no explicit evangelism. Basically, let your actions speak. Let your words, I mean your actions, be what is, uh, let your actions evangelize the awkward sentence but can't seem to get it out any other way. Um, Jacob, I think you referred to a quote that many people bring up by St. Francis. Um, he referred to it last Sunday night when we were gathered, that preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. What are your thoughts about that? that does it bring up any concerns? What, what seems to be wrong? What's, what's lacking? Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Uh, I would say that that understanding confuses the biblical distinction between words and deeds. That they're not the same thing. Um, you know, and all that, although it's true that our actions do speak, uh, our actions do carry uh, uh, and present a powerful message to people. Um, the, the view of, of letting our actions speak solely um, downplays the call that we have to evangelize with our words. Um, J.F. Packer makes that case in the book that we just discussed last Sunday evening, Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God, that we need to communicate the gospel clearly and we need to actually communicate it to people with words. Um, So our first guideline is this, that we must maintain a distinction between mercy ministry and evangelism. Maintain that distinction between them. They're not the same thing. The second guideline becomes evident when we look perhaps, I guess, the other extreme. And I would say this is probably more evident in conservative churches um, is that evangelism there is a clear distinction but that evangelism is said to be so important that we there really isn't any emphasis placed on doing mercy ministry Um, does that raise any thoughts or concerns kind of the opposite extreme the first emphasizes mercy ministry and kind of confuses the distinction this one emphasizes evangelism any any concerns as to what might be lacking or problem with that? Enter my brain. We're commanded to serve one another. Yeah. We're commanded to, to do both. Um, and then you get to 
the whole James passage. Um, so our second guideline is this, that we need to be aware of the tendency to prioritize one at the expense of the other. Um, I think that uh, mm-hmm. most of us will tend towards one extreme or the other. We'll tend towards evangelism or we'll tend towards mercy ministry. The, the struggle is to keep that tension in balance, to recognize that we're commanded to do both. Um, the underlying issue is, is also sort of that of importance. If I ask you which is more important, evangelism or mercy ministry, what would you say? Anyone dare to answer? <laughs> evangelism? Anybody agree or disagree? How many agree? Roy's <laughs> 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 really the only one bold enough to, uh, to answer. Um, I think that most of us would probably answer that evangelism is most important. After all, we recognize that the very deepest need that anyone could have is to be reconciled to God. And so our greatest concern ought to be that we're acting as agents of reconciliation, calling people to be reconciled to God, to flee to Christ for forgiveness. But I would also suggest to you, um, and I want to challenge your thinking a little bit, that perhaps the question of which is more important isn't even a good question to ask. If we are commanded in Scripture to do both, should we emphasize one at the expense of the other? And I would say no that we ought to do both. And so that's our second guideline, is that we need to be aware of that tendency to prioritize one at the expense of the other. Um, and I, get, I, I think we can all, if we examine, we can all see you know, what our tendencies are in that regard. Um, the third guideline is this, that we must recognize that these two belong together, that they should be integrated, not separated. Evangelism is sharing the gospel with our words. Mercy ministry, in a sense, is communicating the gospel and our deeds. Um, they can't be substituted for each other. They're complementary. They belong together. Um, neither should be divorced from the gospel. And ultimately, they both have the same goal. It's the spread of the kingdom of God. Again, we look to the example of Christ to see the pattern of ministry that he sets before us. Um, and what we often observe in Christ's ministry is that there's an interesting interplay between word and deed ministries. Consider in Mark 8, Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. What was his purpose in feeding the 5,000? Was it physical or spiritual? Was it, was it a, if you had to categorize it, would it be a word ministry or would it be a deed ministry? Any ideas? Yes. Yeah. It's both. You know, we have, we have this tendency to want to categorize everything and, and sort of think in terms of either or, um, when often the answer is both. You know, on one hand, he had compassion on the people. The text says that he had compassion on them because they were far from home, that it was getting late, and he wanted to feed them to see him meeting the physical need. But yet, at the end of the chapter. We see him rebuking the disciples for missing the spiritual truth that he was trying to communicate to them. It's just one example um, that, that in the scriptures that these things are often woven together and that that's the way that they belong. Um, but I also want to communicate that, um, that this is more than just theory. Uh, that there are practical benefits to seeing these things together that they work more beneficial. Mercy ministry and evangelism, that both of them are more beneficial when we integrate them and not separate them. Uh, One practical benefit is that in doing mercy ministry, um, that may provide the opportunity for personal evangelism. It may open the door. It may give us an opportunity they might not otherwise have had. Um, It may, at, at the very least, give perhaps credibility to what we're what, what else we will say in communicating the gospel. Suppose that uh, the, there's a co-worker who is struggling financially. They're stressed about it. Maybe they can't pay the electric bill. And I believe that God has brought this need to my attention. Um, talk with my wife. And I go to them and I say, you know, we, my wife and I would like to help you. We, we would like to pay, pay your electric bill this month. 
that is a great opportunity to also say why I want to do that. Um, that God has faithfully provided for us, and so we want to help provide for you. That Christ calls us to love and to be concerned about the people around us, and so we want to do this for you. Not, not in any canned way or anything like that, but to use the opportunity that God gives us to, in doing mercy ministry as an opportunity to share the gospel. Um, you, can, you can see where I'm going there, that it, might, that, it, that it might begin a relationship, that it might stir thoughts, that it might give credibility to later attempts at intentional evangelism. So these things are, are inter, there are benefits to, to having them together. But I would also offer a word of caution about this. It's common, and just in that example, it's common to think of doing mercy ministry so that it provides an opportunity to share the gospel. That's legitimate. It's often true. We pray that it does. It's true that a person's immediate needs often blind them to their true deep need of reconciliation and forgiveness. But it becomes wrong when we only do mercy ministry as a means to an end. It's hypocritical to think that I really don't care about your physical needs. I just want to share the gospel with you. So I'll do whatever I have to, feed you, give you some money. But all that really matters is that you accept the gospel. Just beware of that tendency that we have to want to, to do things as a means to an end. We ought to be genuinely concerned with that person as a person. We ought to consider them as whole beings, that their needs are intricately complicated and woven together. And we need to minister to the whole person. And people must never be viewed as projects. And God forgive us for the way that we tend to do that. Um, and we also need to remember, we, we don't think about it this way, but the situation could easily be reversed. That intentional evangelism may also provide the opportunity to do mercy ministry. That when we share the gospel with someone, we may then recognize that they have a physical need that we can also meet. And we ought to need it. And secondly, practical benefit, not only may that witness to the individual who is receiving our mercy, but our mercy may also be an evangelistic witness to others who are watching us. Now, I'm not suggesting that we parade our good works before men. Jesus condemned that in the Pharisees, that we ought not to... um, do our good works to be seen by men. We don't do our righteousness um, to, to get a reward from, from man. Um, but the world is watching us. The world is watching Christians. And given all the negative publicity to televangelists or fallen leaders, we need to demonstrate a consistent and credible message um, that we are living out the gospel Accurately, the issue really is 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 our motive, um, and our motive ultimately is that we aim to glorify God. Matthew five sixteen says, "Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and what, and glorify your Father who is in heaven." So we're not to parade them before men, but when people see, and they will see, um, that that. That ultimately, the aim of that is to be to glorify God. Uh, and so we long for people to see why we do what we do, so long as our motives are pure, that they're not prideful, that we're not aiming to rob God of glory that He's rightly due. Uh, in summary, we need to learn to integrate the Great Commandment and the Great Commission, to obey both and to make use of the opportunities that God provides us with. Third question Should we attach conditions to mercy ministry? Or should we give unconditionally? Um, Let me clarify that by giving a scenario. Suppose someone comes to you and they claim to be in need. Do you... um, How do you decide whether or not you will help them? Should you just freely give to them regardless of whether... You know, you just not take into consideration why they have that need? That would be unconditional. Or do we go over here and investigate and know exactly what the cause is and then determine whether or not we should help them or not? Any ideas on that? Well, Scripture calls us to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves. It's foolish to ignore the simple tendencies of those outside the body, especially when we minister to unbelievers, and, and to you know, give money to somebody in need 
that is just a way of doing of it would be a, a lack of stewardship of God, God's gracious provision for us. Innocence would be responding to true need, and, and the wisdom of God would be being wise with the that God has given us. That's well said. Um, I'm kind of setting you up for failure so you can't answer my question. Um, because I'm, because I'm, I'm painting two opposite extremes, and my whole point is that we're called to a balance. Um, but, but how? How do we achieve that balance is sort of the question. Um, first, let me chase a small tangent and just to, to consider the causes of poverty. Um, it would be helpful for us to remember that not all poverty is caused by personal sin. We often make this assumption that if anyone is in need, it's because they made poor choices. Um, biblically, that's valid. The Proverbs often speak uh, about laziness, lack of discipline, love of pleasure. That these things cause poverty. That's true. But biblically, there are at least two other causes for poverty. Um, in addition to personal sin, they speak of, uh, scriptures speak of natural disasters or calamities. We have the example of fire in Kendra's apartment. Uh, that in a second, all of our resources, everything that we had and we counted on is gone. And now we're needy. Um, we see in the scriptures uh, that the Old Testament particularly is full of examples of famines, floods, hurricanes, sickness. Um, these are providences of God that he brings into people's lives for purposes, we would say. Um, but they also contribute and cause poverty or neediness. And then third, oppression or injustice. Um, corrupt employers withholding wages, not paying, paying fair wages. Um, racism. Uh, there are side effects to certain laws or statutes. You know, all these can be contributing factors to poverty. And in that mindset, some people have proposed that we make distinctions between the deserving poor and the undeserving poor. Between the worthy poor and the unworthy poor. And basically, the deserving or the worthy are needy because of calamity or oppression. Something that they didn't cause. But then, the undeserving and the unworthy are those who have caused their poverty or neediness themselves. Um, and I would propose to you that those distinctions are not very helpful. That they're not biblical. Keller suggests that, rightly points out, that the words deserving and worthy have absolutely nothing to do with mercy. Who is worthy of mercy? Who is deserving of mercy? Were you? Was I? Um, and yet God gives it to us. The truth is that in the scriptures we can find arguments for either. Uh, and I'd like to consider both of those and then to try to figure out, you know, suggest a balance. Um, first, unconditional. Do any text come to mind that we are to show our mercy unconditionally? Love as I have loved you. Um, I guess I should stick to my handout. The, uh, the parable of the Good Samaritan that we looked at two weeks ago emphasizes that, um, that we ought to be giving to anyone in need um, unconditionally, so to speak. And perhaps the most compelling of all is that God's mercy to us was unconditional, which is basically what you were just saying. As we consider God's love and mercy to us, it comes to us unconditionally that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Um, irregardless of the fact of whether or not we caused our own condition. We did. It's our own personal sin, yet God loved us while we were yet sinners. Um, conditional arguments. Consider that for a minute. Do any texts come to mind about showing conditions and, and discriminating as we uh, show mercy to people? Yeah, the widow, that's the, uh, my, my second point on, on the handout, is that there are distinctions that are made in First Timothy chapter 5 about showing help or giving help to widows. Um, that those who, whose family members can meet their needs, they're not to receive assistance from the church. Um, and it also says that those who are seeking after pleasure um, are not to receive 
assistance. And so there seems to be distinctions made. And the other example is that there is a requirement of work in the scriptures. We looked at this in the Ten Commandments. That six days we shall work. Uh, and perhaps an often quoted verse is in Second Thessalonians 3.10. If anyone is not willing to work, Paul says, let him not eat. So there's this requirement to work. So it seems to me that there are conditions attached. And how do we make sense of these? Are they contradictions? I would suggest no. That they're not. But that there should be a way to biblically see balances. Um, I would suggest the way that Keller finds a balance. Um, that we consider the paradigm of God's mercy to us. That's a point on your... Um, on your handout, that we consider the paradigm of God's mercy to us, that Christ loved us and paid us, though we brought our own misery upon ourselves by our own sin. And then you'll see a, a, a quote there from Keller that God's mercy comes without conditions, but that it does not proceed without conditions. When we consider our salvation, we distinguish between uh, justification and sanctification. That in terms of our standing before God and our justification, that God's mercy was given to us unconditionally. That it was not of our own worthiness, that we did not deserve it. It is by grace alone. So God's mercy comes to us unconditionally at first in our terms of our justification. But yet once justified, as we consider and, and label that sanctification, our, our process of, of maturing and being conformed into the image of Christ and of walking the Christian life, um, it seems to be that conditions begin to be attached. That there are certain things that are expected of us. That we are to walk as children of light. That we are to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. That we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh. Um, obviously, we are dependent on God throughout this whole process. Not to say that it's God at first and then it's us to begin with. We're constantly working with the Spirit. We're walking by the Spirit. We're constantly going back to the Gospel daily. But yet, there are there is a participatory element to this. That there are conditions that seem to be being attached. Three conclusions that I hope to draw from that understanding as to how we are to go about showing mercy. First, we should show mercy unconditionally at first, but conditionally as we proceed. Um, we want to guard against immediately putting up a list of conditions um, and judging the person as unworthy of our help. We don't want to be naive. Uh, we want to use the wisdom that God has given to us. But if it appears that there is a genuine need, we are being disobedient. If we cast judgment and refuse to help a person because we think they don't deserve it because they caused it themselves. We were shown mercy unconditionally. And our mercy to others is to be a witness of the free grace of God. And um, I think we also need to deal with the fact that we will often be used and abused. Uh, that it is inevitable that if we're doing this, at times, we will be used. But do we not also use and abuse the grace of God? Do we not, from time to time, trample underfoot the mercy of God? We just need to get over it. We need to help people. And, and I'm talking to myself. I'm not, I'm not trying to to condemn you. This is convicting to me. I need to get over that. We, we use that as a false barrier to say, I'm not going to help people because we could be misused. You know, we could be used. And, and often that's a, that's a wrong motive. We ought to consider the paradigm of God's mercy to us. Second conclusion to draw from this is that our goal is self-sufficiency, not mere spot relief. We should encompass the person that we're trying to help with love and assistance. And the goal is to restore them to self-sufficiency. Um, not to just attach a band-aid over their wound. Um, not to say, you know, here we've shown you assistance, now go and work and earn your, earn your own. Um, many, many people will need more than just one-time assistance. They will need counseling, perhaps, education, loving concern, and respect Let's not be condescending. Let's not be judgmental um, and self-righteous in helping other people as if we're better than them. 
because they're in need. Third, this will often require tough love. After initially helping someone, as we are working with them, if it becomes evident that sin is a contributing factor, we need to call that out. We need to point out and point to the standards of God and lovingly, I emphasize that, lovingly explain um, that changes are necessary. And if a person is willing to, to submit to that and to work with us, then we ought to continue to help them. If, however, individual refuses to change, um, if it only furthers, if our assistance furthers rebellion against God, if it causes other sins, then we ought to, we ought to withdraw our help. Um, but all the while, we need to maintain um, a willingness to offer it again if there is a repentant attitude and a desire to help. Um, we often say, well, we helped you, you didn't want it, you know, go away, I'm not going to help you anymore. You know, we need to be willing to offer it again. Um, and, and also, those that we would often judge as being unworthy or undeserving are the ones that are most needy of our concern. Christ said it's the sick that need the doctor. Sometimes a loving support of Christians willing to walk with and alongside somebody is what's needed. Especially for people who have, have caused their own problems, um, who may have destructive habits or patterns of behavior, um, addictions, etc. They need Christians to walk with them, to hold them accountable, challenging them to the next step and then showing grace when they stumble. We don't want to distract people with unnecessary conditions. Um, We need to, in in, in bringing all this together, we need to acknowledge this, that seeing all this worked out, how to show mercy sometimes, when to show conditions and when not to show conditions, that this demands that we be forced to our knees, knees in dependence on God for Him to give us wisdom uh, for the Holy Spirit to guide us and in all of this to remember that we're jars of clay that we're earthen vessels that we're weak and the goal is that God be shown to be uh, that, that the, the all-surpassing power is from Him and not of ourselves so in the end we should let mercy that, the mercy that we have received be the only thing that limits the mercy that we give to others. And I would encourage us to consider who is it that God would have us to show mercy to? Um, Consider whether or not we show the right conditions at the right time. um, Whether we are demonstrating true mercy to people. Let us wrap the needy in cords of love and walk them through their neediness helping them to make the changes that they need to make to the glory of God. I'm a little bit over. Uh, if there are any big questions about that. And, uh, Larry, I think you've done a really good job with this, first of all. Thanks. Um, we use the word we a lot in us, and I'm wondering how much of this, I'd like your thoughts on whether this whole area falls mostly under the um, responsibilities of us as individuals before God or whether this is or to what degree is a church function yeah. as far as requiring the oversight and direction of the leadership of a local church and that sort of thing. My first answer will be to say that you need to come back next week. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to deal with that a lot more next week uh, and to be honest I'm still wrestling with with how that's worked out, I guess kind of a snapshot is to say that these are definitely commanded of us as individuals. Um, And we need to be aware of of making sure, uh, keeping the distinction between what we're called to as individuals and what we're called to as a corporate church. Um, I say we mostly just to emphasize, or so that it's not me up here going, you need to do this, but to include myself in that basically. Is, is why I keep saying that and probably overuse that term. Um, so hopefully we can we can kind of wrestle with that a little bit more, maybe come to some conclusions. Um, thank you for that good question. Though. Any others before? As far as the 
the discussion between the unconditional and conditional requirements of, of mercy ministry towards others. Um, I guess I'm a little foggy on what, what you kind of say on that one. And I'll just make an example of that just to hear what you can think about this. And when we talk about people that ride upon themselves, that they overexceed themselves and getting all this stuff that's not helpful to their, their spiritual needs at all. And it's, and it's been debilitating their physical needs by taking away housing that they can afford or, you know, they don't have enough money to buy food because they just bought a five-foot team, you know. So what are your thoughts when that person comes to you and says, I need money to pay my bills or to pay my rent? I I personally don't feel compelled to give somebody money directly to assist in that, but to help them spiritually and say, you don't have your priorities straight, and I'd like to help you straighten those out, but I don't feel like a physical... I got it. Um, it wouldn't show them the, yeah. the need, the true need they have. Well, Henry, can you give a snapshot of questions for the site? Yeah, sorry. The um, basically that uh, if I can summarize it, that if a, if a person has contributed to their own problems, <laughs> it's their fault. You know, for whatever reason, they've not used their money wisely, or um, and then they come and they have a need. Should we should we help them? That's kind of the gist of it, right? And if they've caused it themselves so yeah, to a large extent. Not, you know, something like a really big deal. I don't know if I've given the question to justice, but it's kind of the, the, the idea of it behind it. Um, I think every situation is unique and, and every situation will call for wisdom. And I guess what I'm, I'm not sure how clear I was in communicating it, but I was just challenging us to think of how God showed mercy to us and, and we need to keep that in, our, in the back of our minds as to how we go about showing mercy to other people. And that if someone comes to me, for instance, and they're starving, but they've caused it themselves, they've squandered all their money, but they're starving, do I say, well, no, <laughs> I'm not going to help you. You caused this yourself. No, I, I would say that we need to, to meet that need. And it depends, I guess it depends on urgency. It will depend on a thousand other factors, um, how urgent the need is, um, we obviously don't want to enable people to continue doing things. I guess the, 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 par- the pattern or the paradigm that I'm trying to set up is that we don't, we don't create unnecessary barriers that God doesn't create against us by saying that I'm only willing to help you if this was caused, your need was caused because of something that was outside of your control. But if you've caused it yourself, then I'm not going to help you at all. You know? You, you just wallow in your own mud. I guess I was just trying to make the distinction that sometimes I feel like it's more helpful for the individual to emphasize that spiritual need over overhead and say, well, I'll, I'll take care of this stuff. You, you've got to get this together because you're not seeing the truth. You're not seeing how you really need Christ. You're just seeing this guy will give you money. But, but saying that, if someone fixes their spiritual need, everything else is going to be good and fancy. Is, is not accurate either. Mm-hmm. Needs are complex and intertwined, and I guess I'm just kind of calling us to meet the needs of the whole person and to consider all those factors. And every situation is going to be unique. I think that's what we just need to, to, to recognize that. I don't know, do we have time? Should I continue? Or we need to go for parents? Yeah, we can do a couple more. A couple more. Um, Sorry. Go ahead. That we need to we need to rest and trust in that promise that if we come before God to give us wisdom in this situation, that He will guide and direct us to make the right decision. So there's that element of trust. Uh, I guess to make a point and to also plug the deacons who have the specific um, who are specifically dedicated to this function. Um, you know, I had a conversation with Stan where I said, look. My wife and I have come to a number of people who have specific needs, and we don't have the resources to meet those needs, but we know there are people within the body. Yeah. Uh, we bring that before the elders and the deacons because they have a specific dedication to meeting the needs. 
Uh, but I just wanted to, to plug the deacons, but also to just say, my wife and I feel like we have a role where we can help people in a way. But part of our role in Grace Center Church is to meet these people and then plug them into other people in the church who have the ability to meet their needs. And so, um, and there's also finding out what, how you can meet people's needs. And our, our, we don't feel like we have the resources to really help them financially or, or in a lot of situations. Our role in nursing for the people that we're encountering is to simply plug them into somebody else. Yeah. I don't feel like I need to teach next week now. <laughs> <laughs> but that's kind of the paradigm. But then there's other issues of, well, is the deacon, are the deacons called solely to the body? Or are they called to everyone else? And we'll kind, of, we'll kind of deal with some of those, wrestle with some of those issues next week. But I, I do see that deacon, the deacons being in that sort of uh, network where we you know, kind of link these to the body and, and, and vice versa. That's a good segue into going and praying for us and, and reminding that uh, we're in the days of, of recognizing deacons and elders. Mom's our sole deacon right now. And we believe that can raise up men to help and do some other things. And so be, be in prayer about that and then the process of nominating them to serve. God, we are humbled. And we are deeply in need of wisdom in these areas. And I pray that you would provide for us wisdom. Give us an understanding of the whole counsel of God so that as situations arise, we might not make choices based on our own opinions, which in our reasoning processes may be falling, but that that we might seek the scriptures to find the wisdom that you offer to us in going about the task of meeting these needs. And we pray specifically for our body here at Grace Heritage, as we are in this process of recognizing deacons and other elders, God, that you would provide oversight and guidance and raise up those men in our midst who are qualified to serve, um, that these requirements and and duties of, of these positions might be dispersed among the body and that the body might grow and benefit as a result. And God, that ultimately that you might be glorified. We thank you for... The discussion that we've had, I pray that it's been beneficial. I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would encourage us in these regards. And that you would continue to teach us, God. May we never think that we have understood everything. May you keep us humble and dependent upon you step by step. We pray these things in Christ. Amen. Thank you for listening. Grace Heritage Church meets in Auburn, Alabama. Services are held at 9.30 a.m., on Sunday morning at the Best Western on the corner of college and university.